0: opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of hosts and guests. The view and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Memorial Healthcare System, Joe DiMaggio's Children's
1: Hospital.
2: Hello everyone and thank you for joining us on Healthy Parenting pitched by Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. My name is Jason Henriquez and joining me today is our co-host, and co-producer body banks
1: hey jason how you doing <laughs> well how do
2: you wear so many hats with this production that you know if i'm not paying attention to our script just right i'll slip up I do
0: <laughs> how are you doing <laughs> fantastic um so thank you so much for joining us today everyone um every year Over 15,000 children under the age of 21 are diagnosed with cancer. Oh my God. When this happens to a family, there are endless questions and concerns. Uh, that parents have about how the cancer diagnosis will affect their child um, in terms of their their life, you know, and, um, and and how it'll affect their life, as well as the life of their, their family. Of course. So in honor of September being Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, we wanted to invite Dr. Brian Koff to the show. He's a board-certified pediatric oncologist at Jodi, and he is going to talk about some common myths about pediatric cancer. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. It definitely will be. And before we get to him, today's coffee chat segment will highlight the HPV vaccine and how it can prevent your kids from getting six types of cancers mm. as adults.
2: That's um, interesting.
0: It is interesting. We've talked about this before. Yes, But we have. given our topic today, I thought it would was a good uh, topic to revisit um, and to talk about some other Interesting tidbits of information that have happened since then. Okay. In terms of, uh, yeah, we'll get into it. <laughs> well,
2: I can't wait for you to discuss it with me, and we'll have this discussion before we move on. Here's a word from our sponsor.
3: Welcome to Jody's Quick Tips. Helmets, mouth guards, and headbands are great for preventing sports-related injuries. However, there are many myths and misconceptions surrounding their use. Hi, I'm Dr. Matthew Fizikas, specialist in Pediatric Sports Medicine at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. When playing sports, protective equipment can be the difference between a fun afternoon and a day in the hospital. That's why helmets and mouth guards are encouraged for most contact sports. But sometimes people overestimate the effectiveness of protective equipment. So I'm here to bust some myths on helmets, mouth guards, and headbands. Some people believe that mouth guards can prevent concussions, but the truth is that even though they're useful for preventing mouth and teeth injuries, they really don't help with head trauma. There's also a belief that helmets, mouth guards, and headbands are concussion proof, but concussion proof protective equipment doesn't exist. This gear may help mitigate direct blows to the head, but the whiplash effect of the brain can also cause a concussion. And in fact, protective gear can give people a false sense of security that encourages them to play more aggressively and dangerously. Some people add extra padding to helmets to make them safer, but that doesn't work either. Extra padding can actually pre-compress the existing padding on the helmet. And although it won't make it worse, it really doesn't make it any better. People believe that buying any football helmet will do, but not all helmets are created equal. Although all helmets on the market have passed national standards, you can check a helmet's star rating to ensure that you buy only the safest protective headgear. Protective gear is certainly an important part of any sport, and we should encourage our young athletes to wear protection as often as possible. However, we should remind kids that this gear doesn't make them invincible and always encourage them to play sports in a safe manner. I'm Dr. Matthew Fazikas. Join us next time for another Jodi's Quick Tips.
2: Welcome back. Before we get to today's special guest, let's share what's making news in the parenting world. Well,
1: All
0: right, so up. Uh- today is HPV vaccine and how it can prevent ki- how it can prevent kids from getting uh, specifically six types of cancer. So, did you know that both the CDC and the American um, Cancer Society, they have a motto and that motto is HPV vaccine is cancer prevention. I did not know that.
2: I know that was the reason why they're, they were promoting it, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. no, I did not know that.
0: Research has shown that the vaccine has been proven to prevent or help protect kids from getting certain types of cancers later in their adult life so um as many people know is the most common sexually transmitted infection in the united states Mm -hmm. and almost everyone will come in contact with it at some point in their lives Um, since the vaccine since vaccines in general are used to help prevent disease both the cdc and the american cancer society are recommending that boys and girls get the vaccine starting at age 11 or 12 Mm. Um, mm-hmm. before being exposed to the infection. Um, it's just a series of two shots, mm-hmm. six to 12 months apart. Um, if you started at 11 or 12, both shots will be taken by the time they're 13. Mm-hmm. And that's usually that tween, teen, early teen, um, is the, the, the age range mm-hmm. where a lot of people do, yep, do start uh, to become uh, sexually active. So that's why they want... Um, Though that age range, that's why they're recommend, re- recommending that age range um, as the, the kind of the start time. Some parents have had concerns um, that they have heard that there are harmful ingredients in the HPV vaccine, um, but there's not, it does not contain any harmful ingredients. There's a very low, low amount of aluminum, but it's a safe amount of mm-hmm. aluminum. And it doesn't cause inferti- infertility or the inability to have children and that's another concern that parents have been given misinformation Mm -hmm. about Um, in fact the vaccine can help protect women from future fertility problems linked to cervical cancer um, because hpv has been linked to cervic cervical cancer it also protects the health and the ability of um, to have healthy babies in the future Mm. so Um, According to the CDC, every year there are over 33,000 new cancers linked to HPV Mm. in the United States. More than 4,000 women die from cervical cancer. Almost all cases of cervical cancer are caused by a specific type of HPV, as well as 90% of anal cancer cases, so you, you know, when you consider the numbers and the parts of the body that HPV Mm -hmm. um, cancer is usually found it's usually the throat the vagina the vulva the penis and the rectum these are the areas that the vaccine helps protect against and these are the reasons that the CDC and the um, Cancer Society are strongly recommending uh, parents get the vaccine for their children, and if they don't, which m- which is most interesting to me, mm-hmm. uh, the anti-vaxxer movement, which yes. we talked about before, yes, 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 yeah. as well as the measles outbreak, it's actually leading several states to re-look and take um, uh, to d- develop new laws, basically, that allow children under 18 mm-hmm. to get vaccinated without their parents' consent. That is so controversial. <sighs> I mean, yes, yes it is. But it's it's very controversial, but I get it. I totally get it, I, especially when the research points to vaccines protecting. The, I mean, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. You're the parent. You're a parent. Yeah, yes. You're a parent of two teen boys, twin teen boys. Yes, yes. They're both teens, and my lord. <laughs> no, <I> know, right? <laughs> and so you as a parent are responsible for them. But as an individual, the child is responsible for his or her own health. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, if the if the law passes, if these See, laws start passing... It kind of it, takes.
2: It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a gray area because here's, here's the thing. Go I mean, ahead. I mean, you know, there, It is my child. They're, they're, you know, when you say that, there's some ownership there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's basically, I. Th- <sighs> it's not, it's not a bad law, but what I am saying though is that it would benefit those um, children who are being neglected. Mm-hmm. So those who are not being given the opportunity to get adequate uh, vaccinations or mm-hmm. adequate. Uh, 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 care, mm-hmm. this law would it would assist you know if a patient if the if the child is is um, is uh, coherent enough to realize hmm I haven't got any shots and and this is bad it works but if it but when we talk about you know cultures religions oh, yes. personal beliefs oh, yes. you know you're you're walking a fine line now between between safeguarding a child's uh, health or, and, and potentially avoiding um, certain I guess pathogens. And then violating a parent's right to say, I want to raise my child how I, I want to raise my child because I brought this child into the world <laughs> and I have my own values that I want to bestow of upon. Course. Them. So it it's it really um, interesting. Like one of the values that I, I you know, I, I bestow upon my children is, um, you know, listen to everything, but believe only what you can prove. Mm. And I, I, mm. I strongly believe in that. But at the same time, you know, if a law is passed saying, you know, you, know, you have to take everything you hear, a letter of the law, whether you can prove it or not. I might be against that, mm-hmm. you see, because that's how I how I was brought up, and how I'd like to bring up my children mm-hmm. to have a you know critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You very know, important. Yeah. So Gosh. exactly. So it, the law it, it protects children who are being neglected, who aren't being offered the proper care, or who are being denied it by by. by and there are parents out there, unfortunately, that that are uh, apathetic, neglectful, and just don't care. This law works for them. But for for the, the for, for some parents who are uh, sound mind and sound body and don't mm. believe in it for mm. whatever reason, mm. there's no judgment here. Mm-hmm. Um, it might infringe upon the parental rights, and that's where we are are, are basically now, seesawing back and forth. For sure, there are positives, but this, but the potential for abuse. And then when does it stop? How much further do we go? With, with, technically, the term would be emancipating our children from the parents.
0: And those are the only kids who actually have a say. If you are emancipated, married, or have a baby, exactly, then you can make those decisions because technically you're looked at as an adult, yes. even though you're under 18. But If not, Mm -hmm. and you know, it's a very, like, it is, (laughs) it is is so, and and, and you could tell that the way I'm talking, I'm
2: walking on eggshells as I discuss this because, you know, it it could easily be very controversial and very, you know, so it's, and
0: kids are so much more informed. I mean, I informed
2: and misinformed informed as well, and, and, misinformed. A, and that's the problem. Yes,
0: and so are parents.
2: Exactly, very true. <laughs> but at least, but, but we would assume that because we're adults, okay, <laughs> we have more critical thinking skills. That, that's the assumption. We always assume that the, that the children don't have those critical. They're more naive, so they they're easier, easily tricked. Not today. You know. True, but I you mean, you, yes you would assume you would assume, no, you yes would assume no, that yes. they have less world experience, that they can't spot something that they should go hmm to. Kind of.
0: And question their parents. Exactly. It takes, I mean, I, this, I don't have children. These are conversations that I I can't even imagine having. But, you know, when, like you said, with the anti-vaxxer, the measles outbreak, Mm -hmm. these are parents of sound mind and body Mm -hmm. who are very opinionated and have very, like you said, cultural, religious, spiritual, Mm -hmm. um, you know, principles that they're trying to follow, and you're right, they're like, this is my child, mm-hmm. out my body. But at the same time, you are just a vessel, mm-hmm. you are truly a vessel for your kids. Mm-hmm. And if your child comes to you critically thinking, reading mm-hmm. an article, going to the CDC, mm-hmm. I mean, the kids can go to the CDC, they can go to the Cancer Society mm-hmm. and read a ton, they can go to journals, and come to their parents and be like, Look, mm-hmm. <laughs> these are the facts.
2: Okay, check it out. Check it out.
0: Dad. Yeah, yeah, okay. check it out, Mom. This is what's going on in the street. So at that point <laughs> you have to as a responsible parent just be open and and have that honest conversation. Be, with willing, your kid. be willing be willing to willing.
2: have a conversation, yeah, I guess, because yeah. you know a lot of parents it's it's it's, it's the law but, to the highway but uh you know and i like to say here that i i'm not like that i will have a conversation <laughs> good and and yes if if and it's it's it has happened where my offspring have presented a, a statement that i could not refute and i said okay well i will all right you're absolutely right <laughs> good you know and and so uh you know not relinquish my my parental uh authority but i will acknowledge when what is being said to me makes sense, mm-hmm. especially in, in a critical kind of way, a, little, mm-hmm. in a logical way.
1: Mm-hmm. So Good conversation. we should
2: have that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Before we get to today's guest, here's a word from our sponsor.
3: Our new Joe DiMaggio Children's Health Specialty Center is now open in Wellington.
0: And your family is our family's specialty. So get to know us at jdch.com Wellington. Welcome back, and thank you once again for joining us on the Healthy Parenting Podcast, pitched by Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. I'd like to welcome today's guest, Dr. Brian Koff, to the show. Hi, welcome, Brian.
1: welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for giving us your time.
0: So before we get started, Dr. Koff, I wanted you to share with our audience your role within the pediatric oncology department at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital.
1: Okay. Well, I am the associate medical director of the Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders at Joe DiMaggio mm-hmm. Children's Hospital. I am one of six pediatric hematologist oncologists practicing in the group.
0: Okay. And today's show is dedicated to pediatric cancer awareness. Pediatric cancer awareness happens every September, and we wanted to use this show to dispel some common myths that some parents uh, may have about the disease. So let's start with one of the most pressing questions. And that's, what causes cancer in children?
1: So that's a great question. It's actually a really difficult question to answer. I was listening question. To a question mm-hmm. like, like, how would you, you know? Because what is a lot easier to say is what doesn't. Um, mm. um, most of the adult, many of the adult uh, cancers are caused by environmental factors. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that if we smoke, we increase our risk of developing lung cancer, um, et cetera. In the pediatric population, though, most of the cancers are not caused by some environmental external factor. Mm-hmm. And there just are a lot of uh, unknown, for the most part, genetic factors, not in, you know, not that go on from uh, generation to generation, but just something in our makeup that predisposes one child to getting cancer.
2: Mm. Is cancer uh, hereditary? Would it be one of those traits that you consider hereditary?
1: It is ve- There are some rare cancer inherited, uh, syndromes or in- inheritable cancer syndromes in children. Um, they are unusual. The vast majority of pediatric cancer is not what I would consider an inheritable condition.
0: Mm.
2: How common overall is uh, childhood cancer?
1: Well, um, it's very uncommon for children to get cancer, mm-hmm. um, overall. Um, childhood cancers make up less than 1% of all cancers, but the numbers are still pretty impressive when you, when you listen to them every day, um, 43 children are diagnosed with cancer somewhere in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, about 15,000 children a year are diagnosed with cancer, uh, in the United States each year. So, uh, while it's very rare, that's still a, um, a sizable number.
0: And there, within that fifteen thousand, there are several types of cancers a child can be diagnosed with. Correct?
1: Absolutely. Normally,
0: um, we hear of like leukemia. It seems like that's the most. Seems like that's the most yeah. diagnosed one I, I yeah. hear about. W-
1: without a question, leukemia is the most um, commonly diagnosed cancer in children. Um, leukemia is a cancer. Like most people think of it as a cancer of the blood. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, a cancer of the bone marrow, but. Mm. Um, when we talk about solid tumors, the most common uh, solid tumor that um, children are diagnosed with is a brain tumor.
0: So we'd like to go in um, to some myths that some parents may have about, um, you know, when their child is diagnosed, they have a lot, lots of questions. Um, and sometimes those questions could be uh, misinformed. So we wanted to help our listeners um, just cope with uh, the diagnosis and answering, uh, dispelling some myths. So the first myth um, is children with cancer pose health risks to others or are disease carriers.
1: Yeah, so that is very much a myth. Mm-hmm. That's not true. And I think that that is something that is, well, it's definitely important for the patient and their family to know, mm-hmm. but it's also something that's really important for the child's peers to know. Yes. Um, we will often have child life specialists visit um, the classrooms of our patients oh, to really? educate the other students because it's scary. Of uh, like course. That. Nice, good. You know, when, when someone of their friends comes back to school after being away and maybe they're missing their hair mm-hmm. or, or who knows what, um, that's a scary situation for everyone that's involved. So it's really important that we do educate that you can't catch cancer from somebody else um, you are not at risk uh, of getting their illness. In fact, the truth is that there's more of the opposite. Our patients going back into that environment mm-hmm. are a whole lot more at risk of getting sick from their peers than their peers are from getting uh, at getting sick from them.
0: Right. I did not know. I didn't realize our child life specialists um, brought education outside of the hospital. That's that, awesome that's amazing. to hear about.
2: and fantastic.
1: They are an amazing part of our team for yeah. sure.
2: So we can definitely say here on the Healthy Parenting Podcast that cancer is not contagious.
1: Without doubt. Excellent.
2: Myth number two, uh, childhood cancer survivors are, are unable to have children because they are genetically inferior.
1: So there is nothing about their genetic makeup whatsoever that will prevent them from having children. Um, unfortunately, there may be some effects of the treatment that mm-hmm. may decrease their likelihood of being able to um, mother or father, a child, but, uh, in today's day and age, our ability to address those things, um, has, you know, ahead of time has come a long way. And so many, many, many of my patients are, um, you know, many years out and are able to, uh, get married and have children, you know, just like their, uh, their peers.
0: Awesome. Another myth, children with cancer have a short
1: life. Well, so, um this goes into whether or not children with cancer are cured. And I think a, an amazing statistic is that almost 90% of children that are diagnosed with cancer are long-term survivors. They are. Wow. A huge yeah. number. I that's, didn't realize that's wonderful. that. Yep, that's that is a great. surprising number yeah. and everyone I uh, <laughs> tell that to always has a similar reaction. Yeah. yeah. Um Gives and so hope. Uh, absolutely. It, well, that's what makes uh the job that I do and that my partners do um So rewarding. Mm -hmm. So, But having said that, um, being cured is what it sounds like, the cancer going away Mm -hmm. and not coming back. And so that happens in the um, overwhelming majority of patients. Um, And therefore, um, for the most part, they will go on and live the same lifespan that uh, someone that wasn't diagnosed with cancer uh, will live. Not to say that they may not have challenges and obstacles along the way mm-hmm. that uh, they may not have had had they not been uh, diagnosed and treated for cancer.
2: That's interesting and it's funny because you say 90% uh, are cured and they lead you know long lives yet yet we have this stigma that if a child is diagnosed with cancer uh, it's doom and gloom. Why do you think that uh, that is when when we have such a high rate of, of curing?
1: Well I think that Childhood cancer makes up such a small portion of cancer in general. Mm -hmm. And so what our mind thinks about is the adults that we know that have uh, Mm, cancer or who have had cancer. And uh, survival rates and outcomes in adult cancers are dramatically improving as well. Mm -hmm. But as a population overall, they're just nowhere near where it is in uh, the pediatric world.
2: Excellent. Myth, once cured of the disease, children no longer need follow-up care.
1: That is a huge myth. They own, they need follow-up call, care both with their pediatrician, and they become um, friends of ours for life or, or close to it. We are very fortunate. Um, at uh, Joe we have a very successful late effects program or survivorship program. And when a patient has been um, free of their cancer for a couple of years, they've completed therapy. They transition into that um, that clinic or, or that yeah. service, which really um, provides our patients with an education and an ability to be their own best advocate. Um, they're going to go on throughout the rest of their life having received certain, uh, you know, having the potential side effects of having received certain treatments.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: They're not going to find a doctor who is a specialist in treating survivors of childhood cancer. There is no real such specialty. Mm. Yet they are going to be amongst you know, many people who are childhood. There's about 400,000 uh, adult survivors of childhood cancer wow. um, in the United States. That's a ton of people. So what a late effects or survivorship program does is really educate them so that they become their own best advocate when discussing their health care with um, their providers in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. And you said late effects?
1: Yeah. Well, so That's a new yes. term. Yes, so mm-hmm. I guess sometimes we have a vocabulary that everyone does. <laughs> late <laughs> yes. effects um, late It's effects. sort of what it sounds like. It is the later effects of the treatment um, that you received when you had uh, cancer. So there um. are medications that may have late effects on how the heart works, late effects on um, your risk of, you know, developing you know a wide array of um health conditions.
0: Which brings us to our last myth slash truth. So you'll you'll explain. Of course. Um, children with cancer receive drugs that are toxic and can lead to other health complications.
1: Yeah so that's the one that I would say is true. Um, we are doing everything we can to minimize that um, because of such excellent outcomes and cure rates, we are at a point in the treatment of childhood cancer where we are trying to tailor the therapy more and more towards the individual um, uh, patient and the individual cancer. And what I mean by that is sort of historically or conventionally um, cancer was treated with a very um, broad based approach. You gave Mm -hmm. chemotherapeutic agents that absolutely were and are very good at killing cancer cells Mm -hmm. but they're not so good at only killing cancer cells and um, we are um, we are at an area or at a time where we still have to use those medications but less and less um, as we understand what it is about one person's cancer that sort of makes it tick Mm -hmm. and then we can attack that per se. But as a result of all of the um, medications and treatments, be it chemotherapy or surgery or radiation, there is no question that um, childhood cancer survivors will have um, health complications in the future at a greater rate than those that did not Mm -hmm. uh, receive treatment. And about 60% of childhood cancer survivors will have some type of of consequence from their treatment years prior.
0: Now, um, I believe you said heart, is kidney also? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, you know, when you think of it, any organ that you have has the potential to Mm. have been affected by the uh, treatment. Mm. And we know there are medicines that are specifically gonna put you at risk for heart complications, specifically put you at risk for kidney complications, Mm. infertility there's a long list but we have knowledge to know which medicines are likely to cause which effect and that's goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with the um, survivorship clinic and survivorship program mm-hmm. so that you really understand you know i you know i'm a survivor let's say of childhood leukemia and mm-hmm. i know where i received this medicine and i know that it could potentially weaken my heart so i need to let my adult Mm -hmm. doctor know you know so to keep monitor this this is something that you should be aware of
2: is it is it safe to say that that there's likely more complications in the future with treating pediatric uh, cancer patients than adult cancer patients
1: well uh, you know currently there are there are you know many uh, long-term complications there will be fewer as the treatments are modified more. Mm -hmm. But the main difference between a child and an adult is the just number of years that they, well, the number of years that they have ahead of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if we treat a child and cure them of their cancer at five years of age, well, God willing, they've got 80, 90 Mm -hmm. years ahead of them. That's a long time as opposed to the the person that gets cured at 80 years of age.
2: Well, doctor, we actually like to get a little deeper with our expert guests. Um, so <laughs> what is your action uh, when you usually tell uh, individuals that you're a pediatric-, pediatric oncologist or, i.e., a cancer doctor for kids?
1: Well, so I tell everyone that, you know, when I meet someone at a party or, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, that cocktail hour before the party, <laughs> whatever it may be, it's almost universal. There's that, that stunning, you know, look that, of the, how quiet. do you do what you do. Yeah, mm-hmm. But again... You know, my job is much, much re- more often rewarding than it is disappointing. Uh-huh. Um, when you're able to cure, as we are, like we said, about 90% mm-hmm. of patients, then our good days far outweigh our bad. It's not to say that it's, um, there are not challenging times. There uh-huh. are. Um, but the good far outweighs the bad. Thank you, thank you.
0: So, I had a quick, quick question just for my own personal um, knowledge. You mentioned um, trying to, like, personalize medicine. I think that's what I've heard the term called personalized medicine, where, you, where you're looking at the individuals, the individual patients, maybe like their genetic factors. Uh-huh. Does, does that pl- is that playing a role today in terms of um, developing treatments?
1: It, it absolutely is. Um, I would, uh, you know, I would caution when we say genetic factors. It absolutely is. They absolutely are genes, mm-hmm. but these are within the cancer, and that's a tough concept to sometimes understand. Mm-hmm. That there is a genetic mutation that occurred within a cell that allowed that cancer or that tumor to grow. That is not part of the rest of the genetic makeup of the patient. Mm -hmm. But it is those genetic changes that are absolutely where, um, medications are being targeted. It's also understanding that a cancer, um, has a machinery that makes it go Mm. and understanding that we might be able to target the different, um, parts of that machinery, Mm. um, as opposed to just, um, you know, delivering uh, mm-hmm. more toxic medicines that aren't as t- you know, specific in their action.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any takeaway advice, any advice that you'd like to give parents um, tr- who are coping um, with a, a recent diagnosis?
1: Well, I think the first thing is to know that they are not alone. Um, and we are fortunate in that we have patients who have come through this on the other side, who are very willing to share their experience Mm -hmm. and be there uh, as part of a support system for patients that are just starting down the journey. There are other organizations that do similar things in the community as well. Mm -hmm. And again, um, with very few exceptions, um, we know and we can honestly deliver a message that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And what I often tell my patients, um, and their families is it takes, um, I tell them, I'm going to tell you something that, that, um, you're not going to say out loud, but you're going to inside say, Dr. Koff's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that is that, um, their world is spinning when Mm. they first get diagnosed, they don't know where the ground is Mm. and that, 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 um, will settle down much sooner than they expect that it will and that life will feel normal to them much sooner than they think and and the term you know we use it's that it will be a new normal but mm-hmm. it will feel normal again much sooner than anyone could possibly match and i think when you first get that diagnosis you think well nothing's going to be normal again ever yes or you think nothing's gonna be normal again until all of this treatment is done and it's many years behind us and somewhere in the back of my memory. Mm -hmm. None of that is true. There is a sense of normalcy that will settle in much sooner than you think and you just gotta take that leap of faith.
0: Great advice.
1: Thank you so much, Dr.
0: Koff. Really appreciate that.
2: Yes, Dr. Koff, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on Healthy Parenting. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Share with others and join our Facebook fan page for Joe Damari's Children's Hospital.